We're 132 days into the hostage situation. American hostages still left behind. Nobody seems to care. We talked to um, two parents today of uh, their son who was captured on October 7th. Had they even heard from the White House or the president as he reached out? Also, there's a national security threat. Or is there? Are we being played the way Ronald Reagan played Russia back in the 1980s? That and so much more on today's podcast. Brought to you in part by Lear Capital. It's so important for your future and the future of your family that you take charge of what your money is doing. The guiding principles and values that this country was built on are endangered. They are on an endangered species list. Until we can rebuild the fundamental institutions, nothing, and especially the American economy, nothing is a safe bet. That's why I recommend that you protect your hard-earned savings with an asset you can trust, and that's gold or silver. These are the people. I bought my first uh, gold coins. I was listening to Rush Limbaugh, and uh, he was talking about Lear Capital, and I bought my first gold coins with Lear. Um, and you know, later I went to another company and did business with them for a very long time. And I love those people. Um, business is business and rush had Lear capital for all these years. And, uh, the person that I did business and bought those coins, that salesperson is still working at Lear capital. I want you to go now and find out how you can protect your money. 800-889-3070, 800-889-3070. Here's a podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. So Donald Trump is uh, back in the news, standing by his threat not to defend any NATO members who don't meet the defense spending targets. Um, He's made into looking like a big bad guy. Um, This is a treaty. This is something that we all agreed to. And if you're not paying your fair share, why should we continue to pay the bulk of it to protect you? No, this is a treaty. You signed it. Live up to the treaty and we'll live up to our side of the treaty. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And by the way, once he said that. Uh, Lo and behold, some of the NATO countries uh, started stepping up and going, I don't know, I I just found this in my couch. I thought I I had delivered it uh, to NATO. And uh, good thing I I was vacuuming the couch behind the cushions there. I don't have a problem with this. Pat Gray joins us from Pat Gray Unleashed. Hello, Pat. Hello. How are things, I mean, have a problem with the NATO members? Ponying up? Trump? No. Yeah, why is why is he made to look like such a bad guy and like we're like like they're Ethiopia or something? Yeah. Well, I he does put things rather boldly from time to time. <laughs> yeah. But I Wait. personally appreciate that and I've gotten used to it. It's like, okay, come on. You you know he uses hyperbole. So right. Right. relax on that, would you please? You don't Just think he relax. really is going to encourage Russia to roll over every European nation? <laughs> I'm thinking probably not. Probably not. Okay. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Seems, yeah, I'm not well, offended by it, frankly. Well, he does have that twitchy eye, which I so appreciate <laughs> mm-hmm. in an American president. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like Biden has a twitchy eye, but it only affects the American people. Everybody else around <laughs> the world are like, oh, he's insane. And uh, now's mm-hmm. our time. 
And with the American people, when Biden says something, you're like, I think he's talking about us. Yeah, I, I think, think he's he going to attack Texas. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we think, should maybe take he cover. Might, <laughs> but he might nuke Houston. I'm not really sure. Um, now, the other thing that uh, uh, Trump is is doing now, he's in the news today in the Washington Examiner for talking with Tulsi Gabbard about the future of the Defense Department. Mm. I don't think I would have a problem with uh, Secretary of Defense Gabbard. Would you? I, you know, I don't know enough about her positions on defense to really say oh. yes. I, I, she might be okay, but I wouldn't be my first choice. That's for sure. I mean, I would like to know more, um, but her her stance on war is. You know, pretty Let's much stay out of it. I think all of ours are stay yeah. out of it. Yeah. But she's also wasn't she a former fighter pilot, Stu? Yeah, I, I yeah. do. Yeah, she was in the military. I do you remember that? And, yeah. and you know, I, I, and, I, and, and actually in wars, I kind of like people running the mm-hmm. Pentagon that have actually been at war so they know the cost. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She I mean, she definitely is on, I think, much more aligned with the sort of new uh, Republican leanings on on this topic uh, than uh, than the people who are have been in control of previous Republican administrations, right? Like, she, I mean, look, yeah. she she obviously was a very far left Democrat, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and so she, she aligned supported with Bernie Sanders, uh, Bernie Sanders. Point, so, so you know, she yeah, yeah. So I I don't know that I would say, hey, that Bernie <laughs> Sanders volunteer is I want as a Secretary of Defense, but I do she. I understand why the conversation is there. She's obviously, mm-hmm. um, you know, has a lot to offer and talk about, and she is smart and served uh, with honor in our in our military, which is not nothing. It's a big she, deal. She reminds me of RFK Jr. because he has also enamored some conservatives. But uh, I think it's way premature to start thinking, hey, maybe RFK Jr. is the guy. Right. No. Right. Yeah. No. 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 Please, but no. But Tulsi, I have... I've seen enough of Tulsi. Now, I, I'd like to hear her speak directly to DEI and everything else that the Pentagon is doing. Yeah. If she wouldn't yeah. say the number one thing is to cut all of that out to the bone, it's a cancer. If she wouldn't say that and mean it and back it up with some actions of, of you know, whatever, I'd like to see a pattern there. Um uh, but I, I would be fine with her. I, I like people who have been to war, know that there are times that you have to fight a war, mm-hmm. um, but you don't have to be involved in everything. All we need to do is just restore the military back to the honorable military it used to be. You know, no more drag shows, um, quite honestly. Let's not focus on that. Let's do what the Pentagon should do, and that is find better ways to kill people than our enemies can, are coming up with. Can we compromise on this? Just like no more drag shows on Tuesdays. Keep the weekends a free-flowing no, no, time. I think I'm gonna, you know, I think you <laughs> no, got to have I don't some, think so. None? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. No, none. Wow. Um, I, you know That's what, a hard I, I stance. Yeah. Wow. I think Donald Trump should announce his vice president and some of his cabinet you know, positions. Mm-hmm. He should look at Secretary of Defense. Who could he get that we know would be rock solid and cut all of this crap out? Yeah, I mean, I, he, does he? Need, I mean, does he need to do that? I think that's one of the questions he 
you know, politically would ask there, right? Like, does he maybe for the need, general? Yeah, maybe for the general. He certainly doesn't need it now. No, he doesn't need it for the primary. He's, no, you know, that's good. no, no not in question. If he could, if he could have really solid people around him, um, it would it would bode well, and I think you could get some independents who are like, I'm not sure, you know, who's really really strong uh, on defense and. You know, quite honestly, for the independents, um, as long as they're not, no, as long as they're in lockstep that he's the president and they'll do what he's asking them to do. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mind people like Tulsi Gabbard. I, I, I think the youth of America is much more into new players that may have changed their minds on some things. Uh, that can work together, that are just there to get the job done. And I, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, he, uh, Trump considered Gabbard for a role previously in, in his yeah. administration. And, uh, yeah. you know, they the, you know, like Trump came from, we talked about this back in 2015, 2016. Trump was always pitched in the media like this maniac who wanted to start wars all the time but really his his mm. history had been the it's opposite been i mean right. he always he been was a guy opposed to going into iraq even most of the time most yeah. of the time i mean he kind of yeah. went, he had a couple moments where where he had gone back and forth yes, on he, that but he he, he generally speaking has been skeptical of foreign <laughs> conflicts long before he was president Which of the I united states i really appreciate now 20 years later I yeah. really do. And look, people change too. You know, I mean, I, yeah. it, you know, one of the things that was kept, came out in recent reporting was that uh, one of the people that Donald Trump was considering back in 2016 when he eventually landed on Mike Pence for VP was Nikki Haley, right? Like, yeah. and now here they are <laughs> no, you know, against you. each other in the primary. Like, so yeah. there are, you know, pe- people change. And I think, you know, you can go back and look at where Tulsi Gabbard was, in, you know, when she was supporting Bernie Sanders. And say, like, maybe, you know, she's had some awakenings on some of those fronts. But, I mean, what her view is of international conflict, I think, is pretty consistent with that view of Bernie Sanders, which is basically stay out of all of it. Uh, And I think pretty consistent with where Trump has generally been, though, as you point out, his approach is certainly different. Like, his approach Mm -hmm. is more like, I'm going to have a very tough outer uh, framing of these things. You know, I'm going to, you know, we're going to rain down fire on North Korea. But <laughs> that's a statement, not a policy. The policy mm-hmm. tends to be uh, more restrained in trying to stay out of those things. Mm-hmm. And it's the op- it, and people com- you know went after him for his Russia stuff. Well, his Russia policies were much more aggressive versus Russia than anything Barack Obama offered. Uh, he was yeah. his mm-hmm. he talked about trying to be friends with Vladimir Putin and talked about trying to smooth those things over. But like his actual policy towards Russia was strong. Way stronger than Biden's. Way stronger. Oh, that's for sure. At least going back years, for sure. So let me uh, switch topics here. Something that came out yesterday was uh, Barbara Lee of California. Um, She she argued that we, and this used to be a joke with us, uh, she (laughs) Mm -hmm. argued uh, on Monday that the federal minimum wage should be $50 per hour. (laughs) And she said, it's all about math. Just do the math. And I've done the math. I think that <laughs> brings a hamburger from McDonald's up to between 15 and $20 a burger. Um, you know, that, that, is, that, is, that shows you've never actually been a part of business or understand how business works. 
That would mean massive unemployment. Oh, my gosh. McDonald's and all of them. Yeah. And and McDonald's would go in uh, and they would fire absolutely every human. Mm -hmm. They they would find a way to put automation in every fast food. You would lose so many jobs if you actually did that. And so many companies would go out of business. It's $96,000 a year. (laughs) You know, at McDonald's, if you're uh, cooking the burgers, are really are they going to have to pay every employee at least ninety six thousand dollars? That can't happen. It just can't happen. Minimum wage. Right. It means that that is for the entry level. Uh-huh. That's for the. <laughs> it's new not workers meant to support a family of six. No, it's not meant. It's to not. That. I know this sounds silly and ridiculous, and it is, of course, in reality. But like, this is a. This is we felt the same way when they said 15 the first time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know. And, and now I know. these now places are all it. doing this and like yes, you could go and try to implement socialism. It's really hard. Really hard to do that in America. But you know what has an 85% approval rating raising the minimum wage. Yeah. And they do this yeah. all the time. It's mm-hmm. it's an underhanded way to get these policies in because no, of course you can't pay everybody 50 $50 an hour, but the higher they get it, the more you're redistributing wealth. Mm-hmm. But that's what they're doing. It's, it's, it's an underhanded way to implement those policies. Except who does it hurt the most? I mean, I would argue it's the people who uh, have make $0 as their minimum wage because that is the actual minimum. And that's what people will make <laughs> because nobody can pay that. Yes. Yeah, so they don't lose, they right. can lose jobs completely. But what happens? Again, you know, follow this more than a couple of steps, right? Like you get the situation where these people can't get jobs at all because they're not worth $50 an hour. So they automate these jobs. They get to $0 mm-hmm. an hour. And then the government comes in and takes tax money from rich people and gives it to them. It's the exact policy mm-hmm. they want to implement. It's just another way of doing it. And unfortunately, it's much, much more successful. And many conservatives will jump on board, not for $50 an hour, but for raising it from wherever 25. it is. 25, it 18, would, whatever it is. I can see 25. And that federal, she's talking about San Francisco. Fine, if that's what you want to do in San Francisco, do that in San Francisco. But that is completely unreasonable for most of America. Mm -hmm. New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, maybe. So you do that. The federal government should not be dictating to all states and cities, period. Shouldn't be. All right, back in just a minute. Thanks, Pat. Pat Gray, Unleashed, uh, available wherever you get your podcast, or you can hear it on Blaze and watch it on Blaze TV. Back to the podcast in just a minute. A baby's heart begins to beat at three weeks. Did you know that? At five weeks, it can be heard on an ultrasound. The eyes are forming a week after that. And by 10 weeks, that baby is capable of sucking his or her thumb. Now, when does it become a human being? I don't know. Um, Maybe at birth. Maybe, you know, I I don't know. Six weeks when the heart stops. I don't want to take a chance myself. Preborn is leading the way in the effort to rescue babies from abortion. But they can't do it without people in the pro-life movement like you and me. I think the best way to save babies is to save the baby and the mom. Not to shout down, not to, you know, talk about bloody killers or anything like that, but to love the mom and the child and try to save both of them. 
When a mom sees their precious little baby on ultrasound, the baby's chance at life doubles. Then the other problem is moms feel alone, like they don't have anything to anybody to help, anybody to support. Well, that's again where preborn steps in. If you become a monthly sponsor, you're going to receive stories and ultrasound pictures of the lives you've helped rescue. All the gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes towards saving babies. To donate, just dial pound 250. Say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. Or you can donate securely at preborn.com slash Beck. That's preborn.com slash Beck, sponsored by Preborn. Now back to the podcast. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. Investigative journalist and Blaze Media correspondent Steve Baker joins us now. Hi, Steve. Hey, good morning, Glenn. Weren't you supposed to be in jail by now? Yeah, I. You know that was where I'd planned to spend uh, the first quarter of this year or so. But uh. <laughs> the FBI. The last we spoke to you, the FBI had just notified, I think, your attorney that uh, they were going to come pick you up for for crimes unknown. Yet they haven't told you what it's why they are going to arrest you. Uh, but they said they would be doing it in January, did they not? Yeah, uh, crimes against humanity. That's what I'm calling it right now, myself. But yeah, yeah, so but it's it's uh, one of those things yet again, where the DOJ has left me hanging. The first time after their first threat, they left me uh, alone for 20 months, and then they showed up again with a grand jury subpoena. Then they left me alone for five months. And then they showed up again here just before Christmas, and uh, we backed them off, I think, with the media uh, um, uh, offensive that we did, a response. And then they talked to my attorney just before New Year's and said that my self-surrender would be required sometime in mid-January. They'd give me seven, ten days' notice uh, of that. And then they went silent again, and so we haven't heard from them. Here we are mid-February, and we know nothing. I mean, just so people understand what the government is doing to people, and it's not just Steve, it's happening all over with regular people. Mm -hmm. The DOJ is screwing with people's lives and, quite honestly, their sanity. Imagine you're being told by the FBI with an unlimited amount of money to convict or to harass or to uh, uh, build a case against you. You have to think, oh, my gosh, at any time I may be going to jail. I may have to be fighting this and none of this is true. And then they just leave. So that just that just hangs in your life forever. And then they call back just as you're getting comfortable. I guess they forgot about me. They call back. It's honestly like a cancer center calling you and saying, hey, we have your results and it looks like you have cancer. Uh, We'll we'll let you know next week. And then. (laughs) You don't hear from them, and you can't get them on the phone. Right. Do I have cancer or not? It's really cruel, really cruel. Um, All right, so, Steve, you have uh, brought us footage now. This is never before seen. You released it earlier this week on on Blaze Media, Um, and it is footage of the January 6th pipe bomb and the, well, I would say the, the elimination of it, but we don't actually see that. Set this clip up, will you? Yeah, the first clip that we have that we released two days ago was the actual and most important cameras that were used in the investigation scene. Uh, They we're talking about a camera that had been in a fixed position 
we were able to go on the CCTV camera uh, viewing room and go back as far back as December 28th of 2020 and look. And we see that that one camera number is called number 3173 had not moved for at least eight eight days prior to January 6th. And then uh, the bomb was called in by the Capitol Police plainclothes officer. You remember we reported that here about Mm -hmm. three weeks ago. And then when when that officer made that report and then we saw the very lackadaisical response by the Secret Service, letting kids walk by the pipe within feet of the pipe bomb. Yeah. They didn't do it. They were literally finishing their sandwiches. In in their vehicle before they got out of the car to respond to a bomb with the vice president elect 15 feet away inside that building. I mean, this this is how absurd this situation is. But nevertheless, on this camera, we see suddenly it is taken control of by the Capitol Police Command Center. They have an area where where their big viewing room is and where their camera operators are. It's called the pit. And when... That was called in four minutes after that plainclothes officer reported that that camera starts zooming for the first time and it starts scanning and it's uh, panning around and it's looking for the bomb and then it pulls back and it does this and it moves around for about 20 or 30 minutes before finally somebody told that camera operator to move that camera off of the investigative scene and it was pitched to a hard right 90 degrees away from that and it remained there until at least midnight of January 6th because I went and looked at all of those videos all the way to the end of the day. So it is it is amazing to me because the if I'm not mistaken, the well, let's watch the report. Here it is. Capital CCTV camera number 3173 was the most important camera covering the DNC pipe bomb story event. You've probably already seen Thomas Massey's release of the video in which it appears that a Capitol Police plainclothes officer has discovered the bomb and has alerted the Secret Service and the Metro Police officers that were on the scene. You've probably also already seen the bomb-sniffing dog, and you may have already also seen the arrival of then-Vice President-elect Kamala Harris's motorcade. What you haven't seen is, well, what somebody in the Capitol Police Command Center didn't want us to see. And that's the actual investigation of the bomb scene. What we're going to show you now is how they hid that from us. What we were able to access from the Capitol CCTV viewing room is how long that camera number 3173 had remained in that fixed position we were able to go back as far as december 28th of 2020 just eight days or so before the events of january 6th and from that review we could see that the camera's positioning was in that fixed position for days weeks months but ultimately it was only just these very few minutes after the bomb's discovery that that camera began to move The camera then began to move, pan, zoom in, looking for the bomb itself. 
But one thing that we know for sure is that camera 3173 was the most crucial of all the cameras. It had the closest and the clearest view of what law enforcement's response, what their investigation, and ultimately the destruction and detonation or the attempted detonation of the bomb would be by the bomb squad robot. But inexplicably, and I'm getting tired of using that word every single time we do one of these investigations, but that seems to be the key word when it's related to January 6th, is that at approximately 1.40 p.m., camera number 3173 was remotely directed away from the scene at about a 90-degree angle, and then it remained in this newly fixed position away from the investigation for the rest of the day, or at least until midnight on January 6th. Now, it might be assumed that this was an error, an accident, an oversight. Maybe somebody bumped the joystick on camera number 3173 until we then review camera number 8020. As we are seeing the robot deployed down the street, headed towards the bomb, someone again directs camera 8020 away from the investigation scene and then affixes it once again, it seems like at a hard right 90 degree angle away from the investigation once again. It's incredible. It's Why would they incredible. turn those cameras away from the investigative scene? Who? ordered those cameras to be turned away. What were we not allowed to see? All right, so Steve, give us some updates on what else we have found. I know I read today that there was a there were um, bomb-sniffing dogs in the area and there's they they gave no indication and I know because I've had a bomb-sniffing dog before, um they they are relentless. Uh, and they would have found it had it had any explosives in it, don't you think? I would think so, especially as haphazardly as this particular device was, you know, yeah. put, to, put together. And yeah. and this is this is even more important, Glenn. This is really the latest and most developing part of this story. Is we did in fact acquire the images of the destruction of this bomb by the bomb robot. In fact. We now have it up. It's up on YouTube right now. So it's about to be distributed across all the Blaze platforms today. Wow. It's, it is now up. But this is the story behind that, is that as late as 9 o'clock on Wednesday night, when I was supposed to have these videos in my Dropbox from Congress, I received a call from a senior congressional aide who said, sorry, we cannot give you these scenes and these images. Why? We are being told that the technology is classified and it's sensitive in what has was used to, uh, to destroy the, the pipe bomb at the DNC headquarters, to which I responded, Glenn, I said, BS, because I said, you can go look on the Department of Homeland Security's website and read mm -hmm. the destruction of the the, uh, or the read the information with images and video of the exact type of water disruptor cannon that was used to blow apart that bomb. And it's available freely to the public. As a matter of fact, you can buy this system yourself online and the patent holder has given it away for free. Anybody can use it. And yet they were the, 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 
powers that be were telling me we could not have it. Actually, they were lying to the Congress members and telling them that they couldn't give it to me because and then what ended up happening. And thank goodness you had him on here a week or so ago. But Representative Barry Loudermilk intervened. Mm -hmm. And we want to look him and his staff have been just absolutely invaluable to our investigations and our research. But they intervened. And by seven o'clock yesterday morning, we had the video. And that's available right now. Right now. It'll be on Blaze TV. Uh, It will be on uh, theblaze.com and all of our our, all of our platforms. The reason we can do these things is because uh, of you. If you are a subscriber, please uh, tell a friend. If you're not a subscriber, please join us at Blaze. There are so many reasons, but investigative journalism, I I know the plans of the company, um, and they are expanding. As Stu said, it's like they've backed up a dump truck of money uh, to be able to do these things and and grow in real credible news and investigative reporting. Um, but we really need you to subscribe to help support that. And you can do that by going to blazetv.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code free speech and get $30 off your annual subscription. Uh, so you get a monthly access to the premium articles and, you know, the opinions and things like what Steve is doing. You want to do an annual. It's $3 a month. You get Blaze TV Plus, which is everything for $10 a month. So join us, William. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. Free speech is uh, the uh, the promo code. So, Steve, where does this go from here? I mean, this seems to me to be um, a a diversion um, because the they were both discovered about five minutes before the Capitol was, you know, stormed. It was that, do you think this was to pull Capitol police off of the Capitol and bring them here? What, what do you think this was supposed to do? They were diversions and they were meant to diminish the force that was available to protect the Capitol that day. There's just no other way. There's no other reasonable explanation because the first bomb, the RNC bomb, was found about 10 or 15 minutes before that first barricade breach, the famous Ray Epps barricade breach line happened. That happened at uh, 12.52 p.m. The bomb was found about 10 minutes before that. Then the bomb or the breach happens at 12.52. This group of people storm up to the West Terrace. They begin to form another line up there, and they've already had to divert dozens of officers away from the Capitol, an already diminished police force anyway, because mm-hmm. of the COVID protocols and because they did not want the, as they said, they didn't want the the the, the optics of extra security there at the Capitol that day. And uh, particularly guys wearing the hard units or the National Guard, uh, you know, the, the, the RoboCop looking guys, they didn't want any of that optics there that day. So what does it tell you that the investigators um, weren't really allowed to investigate? They they tracked one guy uh, to, I think, a home in Virginia, and then they were told, go away uh, by the FBI. Just leave it alone. There's nothing to see here. What would the motivation be 
for a government that is trying to track down every grandmother who is anywhere near the Capitol to not pay attention to this. Why would they issue a $500,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of this bomber and then take the extra step of hiding all of the evidence from us? I, I told them when they did it, I said, just make it $5 million. You're not planning on giving it away anyway. You know, it's just, it's just so clear, you know, that there may have been, you know, bad guys, you know, that were Trump supporters or not Trump supporters. But there was this group of people and all of the real leaders, the ones who, like uh, Ray Epps, were causing people to go in and encouraging them to go in. You've got the guy on the tower uh, the scaffolding that they can't find. They've got the two pipe bomb people. You can't find them. It, it, it just screams setup. To almost to a man, every single Capitol police officer retired who left the job, who are still active with the force. They all believe that they were set up that day. The only ones who won't admit that are the, existing leadership but that's another story and we're working on that as well hmm. steve thank you so much i hope you stay out of jail know <laughs> that we're we're with you um steve baker investigative journalist uh blaze media correspondent you could find his work at blaze.com the blaze.com or on blaze tv more footage as he just said exclusive now being released by blaze media the best of the Glenn Beck program. Ronan and Orna Nutra are joining me now. They are in Israel currently. Their son, who was decided to uh, take a, uh, a leave of his studies, defer his studies at um, the University in New York, he was going to serve time in the Israeli army. He was captured while serving as a tank commander near the Gaza border on October 7th. We welcome uh, his parents now, Rona and uh, Orna. Ronan? Thank you. Thank you for having us. You bet. Um, Thank you, Orna. Uh, Tell me about, first of all, your son. Who was he? What what was he doing? Yeah, so uh, Omer um, is 22 years old. He turned 22 a week after being kidnapped by Hamas. Um, He was born in New York City um, one month after 9-11. I was working at the city at the time, and I remember clearly crossing the Queensboro Bridge by foot because there was no public transportation that day with him in my belly and also thinking to myself, how can this be that this horror is happening in New York? And unfortunately, we're in this crazy terrorist act right now involved, you know, and um, so, so he, he was born in New York. Uh, he grew up on Long Island, um, to some extent an all-American kid, you know, loves the NBA, loves the NFL, he's a basketball yeah. player. He's the captain of his. Uh, he was the captain of his volleyball team, of the captain of the basketball team in the school. Um, always kind of taking these leadership roles. He's he's very friendly. He's very social. 
He, you know, he walks into a room with a lot of new kids. He thinks about the potential, you know, who's going to be my friend. And, so, um, yeah. So, so, so um, yeah. Orna, you you said, you know, he was in your belly um, on September 11th as you're walking across the across the bridge. Now it comes almost full circle, same kind of mentality, same uh, lust for blood. um, And they took him hostage. Uh, That just is such an incredible loop there. When did you know that he was taken hostage and what have you heard since? So um, we spoke to him on October 6th. You know, we, we had a very close relationship, although he was in Israel and we are in New York usually. Um, and we spoke to him the night before. Um, everything seemed very calm. Actually, it was a very tense month on the border. His job was to protect the villages, the kibbutzim that are on the border. And um, it, it, ha- it was the month of the Jewish holidays, and there was a lot of tension there. And, and, uh, and finally, it, it looked like things have calmed down. Um, now we know it was, you know, all planned. Calm before the but storm, he, yeah. Yeah, and he was just looking for um, a relaxing weekend, you know, with his, uh, with his team. Um, he was looking to do some team building. And, and so, you know, we, it was like a regular day. And only a few hours later, you know, the war broke out. Well, little did we know, Glenn, that 3,000 terrorists, Hamas terrorists, will rush and gush into Israel, kill 40 American citizens. And I'm not sure your audience is aware of it. 40 American citizens were murdered that day, and 1,500 Israelis together were murdered and they took hostage 240 uh, young babies, elderly um, women uh, and, and, and children, as well as a few soldiers. So it, it's outrageous uh, what, what happened on, on October 7. And I don't think a lot of people realize it. And right now, even though 40 Americans were killed and murdered that day, there are still six hostages, American hostages, kept in Gaza under gunpoint, alive, plus two that we know that are dead and their bodies are still kept in Gaza. So it's tell a, me, Ronan, you, I mean, I know you've spoken to the president, um, and, you know, I, I say this because if I were in your situation i would honestly it's i think it's totally natural to say you know screw we don't negotiate with terrorists i would want something done anything done to rescue my my son but i don't feel like enough is being done i mean i don't know why we haven't sent in special forces and it doesn't seem like this is a priority uh for america do you feel that way I am not sure. Let me tell you how I feel. We're very grateful for President Biden's administration that are working around the clock to try and secure and release all the 134 hostages working with uh, uh, the partners in the area, Egypt and Qatar, and, and of course with Israel. But here's the thing, after four months, 
We are challenging the assumption that the release of the American hostages will be part of the overall release of all hostages. It hasn't happened. Our boy, together with five other living Americans, is being held hostage and is not released by any deal. And we're very, very worried because the conditions there are terrible. Yeah. The Red Cross is not allowed to get in. We know that they are tortured. We know that they are hardly fed. We know they haven't seen medical condition. What needs to happen, Glenn, for the United States to step up and say, we are going to save our own people? I have to tell you, it's not just about your son. By not doing these things, you, you make it dangerous for Americans all around the world. You cannot take American citizens and hold them hostage. We have to respond to this um, by trying to rescue them. Uh, and uh, it just it's just so muddy and murky now with the world. I mean, it, to me, it is so crystal clear. Um, you are dealing with barbarians and uh, you, you know, you're dealing with barbarians. They don't care about life. Uh, and we do. And I, you know, I just wish that I had confidence in our uh, in our nation right now that we could even pull something off and and find them. When it, what is the last? How do you know your? I don't mean to be horrible on this. How do you know your son is still alive? So first of all, I want to say that it is very complicated, Glenn, because as far as we understand, they're being held in this under ground, you know, maze of tunnels, right? And, and a rescue um, attempt such as you're suggesting could be very, very dangerous. Yes, I am. So, you know... I'm not suggesting... Honestly, I want you to know, I'm not suggesting a plan. I just don't right. feel like the American people are even really aware um, or care. The media certainly doesn't seem to feel that way. I mean, it's that we've been lost. I think we're the only broadcast that every day we have a counter on the side of the screen that says American hostages still in Gaza. Day today is 132. I, I mean, I felt the same way when it happened to our hostages in Iran. This is a very big deal. This is even a more complex situation because we're yes. not dealing with a nation. We're dealing uh -huh. with a bunch of terrorists. And uh, we really appreciate you having the, the day clock on, on yours. We, we are wearing a daily badge right now, 132 days. I can't even believe that we have reached such a, a you know, milestone of over four months. It's unbelievable. Um, something has to be done. Where's and we are urging all the partners, and we're putting a lot of pressure. That's why we're in Israel. We're putting a lot of pressure on the Netanyahu administration to negotiate. Part of the issues that we see right now is that the negotiation is not going in the right direction. All the parties were in Cairo this week, and, and President, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu pulled the Israeli representatives and told them to go back. We're very concerned about that. So can I ask you, because this is such a complex thing, um, you know, Netanyahu is getting a lot of heat from the United Nations and many nations who, again, I don't think really care about or understand, not that I do, 
what it's like to be a Jew. You, there's no place safe on earth except perhaps Israel because you have a right to defend yourself. Everywhere else, it's like you're just a visitor. You're just, you know, you're, you're not really, yeah, you're a citizen, but you're a Jew. Uh, and that is horrible. And every time the world goes into this kind of darkness, that's when countries just start to separate their citizens and their Jews. Um, and I, I got to tell you, I, I, I would not negotiate with these people if it meant that we had to leave some of them, you know, still in charge with capabilities to do this again, because they will. Right. But it's a catch-22. You, you, you realize that, right? Yeah, I do. Need, I do. I want to I want to also, you know, you, you mentioned that Israel um, is the, the only Jewish state, really, and it was established after the Holocaust. And yeah. both my father and Onan's father are Holocaust survivors. Jeez. And um, yes, and they came to Israel and were of the founders of Israel exactly for this reason. And again, you know, it's just unfathomable that, you know, my, my father has to be in this predicament where he, he knows that his grandchild was abducted by this terrorist organization that just broke into the borders of this country. And like you said, we have to fight over the empathy and the narrative of all of this is going on right now. Yeah. You know, to, to, to defend ourselves in this situation. And that's exactly why our son, Omer, part of the reasons why he decided to move to Israel, to get yeah. to another country, and to serve the country, is because of his heritage, his understanding that somebody has to do it. The Jewish state has to be protected. And unfortunately, he was in that spot next to the Gaza border when he was abducted. But now we need to, give, to get him back. That's our job. We are all over the place. I met with the Prime Minister of Qatar in Doha. I urged him and I thanked him for what he did for the first release. But they have to continue. They have to put all the possible pressure on Hamas to release all the other hostages. And of course, the Americans, six Americans among them. It has to be done. And we don't have time. Everybody I, uh, needs to have time. We don't have time. Those hostages are dying. I know. I know they are. Um, I, I want to urge you, if, um, if you want to learn more about this, you can go to stories.bringthemhomenow.net. Um, I don't know what the solution is, uh, Orna and Ronan, uh, but uh, we will pray for your son and all of the hostages. Um, you're in an impossible situation. And just as a dad, uh, my heart goes out to both of you. God bless you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.